Welcome to the Arlington Street Church podcast. Founded in 1729, Arlington Street continues today as a gathering place for progressive people of faith in the greater Boston area and beyond. We are located at the corner of Arlington and Boylston Streets, across from the Public Garden in Boston, Massachusetts. Please visit ASCBoston.org for more information about this historic Unitarian Universalist congregation. Arlington Street Church, gathered in love and service for justice and peace. Two weeks ago, on the weekend of Juneteenth, John O'Connor quoted Frederick Douglass to us in his sermon. He quoted, what to the American slave is your 4th of July? In its original gendered language, I answer, a day that reveals to him more than all other days in the year, the gross injustice and cruelty to which he is the constant victim. To him, your celebration is a sham. Your boasted liberty and unholy license, your national greatness, swelling vanity. John reminded us that that was in 1852. In 1852, Douglas and his contemporaries were calling out a national origin myth. And the irony and injustice of celebrating an independence and freedom that was only extended to a select few and predicated on the labor and suffering of black and brown bodies. And then a string of black social gospelers through the ages, from Henry McNeil Turner and Ida B. Wells, to W.E.B. Du Bois and Booker T. Washington, to Nanny Burroughs, Mordecai Johnson, Howard Thurman, Martin Luther King Jr., Polly Murray, and so many others, preached the same message, each in their own time. And still, in 2020, we need to hear it again. Still in 2020, not every state has recognized Juneteenth as a national holiday much more worthy of its name than yesterday's Independence Day. John said, it is time for a new American social contract. That is part of the work that lies before us, yes. And history tells us that just as the settler colonial expansionist project built on an idea of white supremacy is as old as this country, so too is the act of resistance, which has already had more radical supporters than we will ever know or that history has ever bothered to record. On June 7th, Black and interfaith clergy in the greater Boston area organized what they called the Boston Black Memorial a mass funeral procession in which they drove three hearses through Boston neighborhoods in honor of Ahmaud Arbery, Breonna Taylor, and George Floyd, killed by police brutality in Glynn County, Georgia, Louisville, Kentucky, and Minneapolis, Minnesota. The procession ended with a memorial service at Bethel AME Church in Jamaica Plain. Reverend Mariama White Haymans, founding pastor of New Roots AME Church in Dorchester, preached at the service. And it was her sermon that first, for me, eloquently connected the work of racial justice to running a marathon. 
She preached, see, when we pass mile one, we will no longer have to explain why all lives matter until black lives matter. When we hit mile two, there will be not a single police force in the country where chokeholds are allowed. At mile three, we will stop putting our immigrant siblings in cages and keep families together. And at mile four, we will no longer use our prisons as detox facilities, but fully fund rehab and addiction support. After the sermon is where the service began to look a little different than our UU services. The sermon gave way to prayer and spirited singing, to turning to God and turning to what Reverend Mariama calls their cloud of witnesses for guidance. And that's where we as UUs often get caught up. When it comes to building up stamina, where do we turn for guidance? Turn for what Reverend Mariama called spiritual oxygen. Turn when we have realized that we cannot go it alone. The hymn that we sang earlier, Guide My Feet, is a spiritual of resistance that we as UUs have borrowed from the collection of Willis Lawrence James, who was a music educator at Spelman College in the mid-1900s and did amazing work retrieving and preserving Black folk songs along the levees of the Mississippi River. This hymn was inspired by a passage in the book of Hebrews in the New Testament, Hebrews 12. It reads, and let us run with perseverance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. So in Willis Lawrence James's original conception, it was guide my feet Jesus while I run this race. We as UUs have adopted this hymn as our own, but have never really been clear about how the theology translates. As Unitarian Universalists, some of us believe in God, others of us in something you might call divine love or the spirit of life. Others of us still are theologically humanist and believe in the transcendent spiritual power of communities gathered in love and in protest. We are agnostics, believing that nothing can ever be known about the existence of God, and atheists, ultimately refuting the existence of God altogether. We might also carry dual identities with us and believe in gods of other traditions with other prophets and messengers. So when we sing out, guide my feet, who are we as Unitarian Universalists calling out to? Who are we humbling ourselves to? Because I wager that if we are going to sing these borrowed spirituals at all, we have to honor them well by understanding them, by understanding our place as it relates to them, and by reflecting on what we will do. For those of us that have more privilege, what we will do with our bodies, and for all of us, what we will do that aligns the lyrics and our integrity and our call to be in this world. So when we sing out, guide my feet, 
Who are we as Unitarian Universalists calling out to? It is a powerful spiritual practice to admit that we are not in charge, to humble ourselves to something, and on the long road to becoming the anti-racist congregation, denomination, and nation that we are called to be, it is the only way, especially for us white folks. If you believe in God, then you might sing, guide my feet God, while I run this race. But even if you don't, all is not lost. Because our second of six UU sources are the words and deeds of prophetic women and men, which challenge us to confront powers and structures of evil with justice, compassion, and the transforming power of love. It is all in there. Ancestors, saints, and prophets, guide my feet. From our own UU history, we can call on the witnesses of Egbert Ethelred Brown from the Harlem Unitarian Church, the first Black Unitarian Fellowship in North America and the best example of the Black social gospel that our denomination has ever known. We can try to make right the ways that he was wronged in his ministry with us when we do. Or of Mark Morrison Reed, the courageous historiographer of our faith, and one of the ministers who has long pushed us to lean into the better angels of our nature. And prophets in our own time, Alicia Garza, Opal Tomedi, and Patrice Kahn Cullers, the three co-founders of the Black Lives Matter movement who will say unequivocally that theirs is a spiritual movement. Drawing the circle closer and closer to home, we can call on our own church elders, local and national, to guide us in our journeying. During the last service of our regular church year, where we commemorated the 50th anniversary since the first Boston Pride and reflected on the ways in which liberation and justice for our LGBTQ siblings and our siblings of color have long been bound up together. Julia Simon posted in the chat, and I share again here with her permission. Our queer elders inspire me to keep fighting. They fought for us, and now we fight for the children. Our beloved Arlington Street Church elders, guide my feet. UUA elders in DRUM, Diverse and Revolutionary UU Multicultural Ministries, and BLUE, Black Lives of Unitarian Universalism, guide my feet. And still, closest to home, we have another option. We have our chalice circles and accountability partners, our communities of practice and our communities of care. On communities of care at the recent Berry Street Lecture, Reverend Kimberly Quinn Johnson urged listeners to seek relationships that are supple enough to withstand all the ways that we each fall short, 
but relationships that also lure and entice us into action. This could be a small group or just one person. Communities of faith and partners and accountability guide my feet. And by the way, this particular race, of course, is one where we don't need to be able to walk or run even a mile to participate. In another sermon I heard last week, the Reverend Mariella Perez-Simons explained that revolutions are always sustained by people taking up different and necessary roles based on what they are uniquely good at. This moment, she reminded us, needs all of us. So why do we need guidance along the way? UUs have long talked about interdependence through the lens of our seventh principle, respect for the interdependent web of creation of which we are a part. But when we talk about interdependence, we don't often also talk about humility, about how we need each other because not only is it lonely going it alone, not only is our voice dull and ineffective alone, but we are also finite alone. I'll always remember during my first year of seminary, my professor of modern theology, Dr. Wesley Wildman, saying to us, you see, if you take intersectionality seriously, your finitude is non-negotiable. Your finitude is non-negotiable. You end somewhere. There are some things that you can just never know, given your particular social location. And when I first heard this, I have to admit for a while that was pretty destabilizing. I got to a point in my early 20s, fresh out of college, that both in my adult life and my life as a seminarian, I just wanted to show that I could do it. On the one hand, I wanted to show that I could adult capably, that I knew my way around a checkbook, a pair of jumper cables, a crock pot, and an H&R block. And I never grew up or lived in a house prior to this current apartment that had a garbage disposal. So instead of figuring out what it was all about, I just avoided it for an entire year, too embarrassed by the fact that I didn't already know. For my roommates currently watching, everything might just make a little more sense now. On the other hand, in UU and in seminary spaces, I thought that the best way for me to be an ally was to show that I already knew how to act. I already knew what to say, even in settings or in conversations extraordinarily new to me. But of course I didn't. And in the process, on both accounts, I closed myself off to more learning. Realizing that your finitude is non-negotiable, that you end somewhere, can either be destabilizing or liberating. And oftentimes it is a little bit of both because it adds meat to the platitude that we need each other. 
And the more that we can get over the fragility that comes from needing to be perfect, the more clearly that we will be able to see the insidiousness of the violence of a racialized state. We will see it when there is a knee on a black man's neck, but we will also see it in under-resourced school districts and in voter suppression. It is a powerful spiritual practice to admit that we are not in charge, to humble ourselves to something. And on the long road to becoming the anti-racist congregation, denomination, and nation that we are called to be, it is the only way, especially for us white folks. God, ancestors, saints, prophets, our Arlington Street and UUA church elders, communities of faith, partners and accountability, guide my feet. Because on the marathon of racial justice ahead of us, Reverend Mariama continued. At mile five, we will be as quick to support the small businesses in Nubian Square as we were to protect the luxury shops on Newberry Street. At mile six, no child will go to school hungry. At mile seven, your zip code will not be a predictor of your health outcomes. At mile eight, we will assure that all people are paid a living wage, which allows them to work one job and take care of their families. At mile nine, we will get serious about mitigating climate change and solidarity with many coastal cities like our own, and at mile 10, wait for it. Our congregations will no longer be divided along lines of race. Our you, you theology draws so much strength from our emphasis on reason and on science, but in times like this, we cannot do without prayer. We cannot do without our communities of care, without our teachers, without the people who hold us accountable, and without forgiveness and the gentle return when we misstep, based on our shared humanity, which we believe extends even to ourselves, based on a deep, deep reverence for learning, and based on seeing healing and justice as processes so much bigger than ourselves that we delight not in completing them or in performing them, but in just waiting for a moment into their waters. May it be so, and amen. Thank you for listening to this week's podcast. We would love to hear from you via email at office at ASCBoston.org or through our Facebook page. If you would like to support the good work of Arlington Street Church, please consider a contribution by checking the mail or through our website, ASCBoston.org.